Good morning. Uh, welcome to the morning's edition of the Richard Urban Show. We bring you news and views from God's point of view. We're Today, we're very happy to have Daniel Lutz Jr. on. He's the Mountain Party candidate for governor. He's on the ballot for the general election on November 3rd. So if you could please introduce yourself. Well, good morning, all. I'm Daniel Lutz running for the governorship of West Virginia on the Mountain Party ticket. We're an affiliate of the Green Party of the United States. And the question probably in most people's minds, why run? Well, I'm going to steal a phrase from one of my dear friends who has since departed. His name is Carl Hess. He wrote this line for Barry Goldwater in 1964. I want to offer a choice, not an echo. I want to offer the people of West Virginia a plan that will enable them to enter the 21st century on a competitive basis. I'm not hearing that from any of the other candidates. Okay. All right. So what would you say are your three or three of your main platform points that you would like to share? Okay, my most, uh, my number one point is broadband. Until we have broadband accessible to everyone in West Virginia who wants it, we will not progress. I have been in touch with Intelsat and SpaceX, and they have assured me that six months from the date of an agreement, a contract, as they said, they could have a turnkey operation available to every West Virginian, every business, every church, every school, every organization that wants the broadband service. And I emphasize that adjective turnkey. They said it would be ready to operate within six months. David Tabb and I discussed this with Bray Carey briefly back in January, on January 13th to be precise, and we have not heard anything back from the Justice Administration on this proposal. So if that had been implemented arbitrarily on February 1st, the children of West Virginia could have had every one of them, but all we would have to have done was gotten them the laptop terminals. They could have had virtual access to everything internet on the face of the earth. In fact, as one of the vice presidents of Intelsat uh, used the phrase, he said, "We working with SpaceX, we plan to cover every place on earth from Barclay Square to Pitcairn Island where they want internet service. That's the first, briefly, that's the first point. The well, second point is- Could I ask one thing West about Virginia that? Sure. Oh, okay. Well, definitely, you'll definitely have plenty of time for all the other points. Well, as the satellite traditionally, uh, I know you're talking about, I think you mentioned it's 5G, right? Should satellite is like snail slow. And I was reading maybe this isn't quite ready yet, or would it really work, I guess, as Emma is saying, is that technology really available? Well, yes, according to the to Intelsat, they are doing this in Croatia right now, which has some of the similar problems that West Virginia faces. Very rugged terrain, not a, a people with not a high income. And last month, SpaceX launched 597 
communication satellites in one launch in to low earth orbit above the earth now low earth means from 700 to 1100 kilometers above the earth mm -hmm. the geosynchronous satellites that are being used now are as much as 22,000 miles above the earth that's a tenth of the way to the moon they uh spacex plans at least five more such launches before the end of the year and discussing facts and figures on this program Intelsat says this turnkey operation that we discussed can be in operation for between 150 million and 200 million dollars. Now, that is a third of what Mr. Justice was speaking of week before last. And the point being, if I am governor, the 150 million that's planning to be wasted on Rockwool will be diverted to the internet program. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I think there's also concern for safety studies on 5G, like effect on, you know, various things like cancer and stuff. Is there any concern about that? Yes. At, well, yes, there is. And I've spoken with the, with the engineers. The, uh, these are engineering vice presidents, I might add. And they have said that for those who desire it, they, can, they will be able to offer 4G. So... Uh, I think it's going to be a real smorgasbord of internet options that are finally available when uh, Intelsat and SpaceX get Starlink in operation. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, uh, all right. That's an interesting proposal. I mean, I know there's concern about and that many people aren't connected. Like I'm in Shannondale here. We're fortunate, I feel. <laughs> Some people might not be a big fan of Comcast, but it does have high-speed internet. So we have a good service, but I know that's not true for many, many places. Well, for instance, here in Jefferson County, if people are getting 25 to 30 megabits download speed, that's considered good. I don't even get that here in the valley. You go across the state line just a few hundred yards from your home, and they're getting 30 gigabits download speed. We can't progress with that kind of a gap in communications. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to does. Yeah, there's definitely some need for a better service in the uh, non-connected areas. That's okay. true. So let's go on to the second or third okay, point. Se second point. Okay, a second point, and it can be summed up in one word: water. Most people don't think about it, but West Virginia is the birthplace of most of the rivers in the east, that is east of the uh, Western Continental Divide. We supply some of the water for ourselves, the District of Columbia, and parts of 12 other states. That is a mandate to stewardship. We have got to assure that the water that leaves West Virginia is as clean as when it came out of the earth because Water is life. And with that, I've also got a program that I would like to implement. It would be a pollution control credit system. If yeah, I was noticing that. Can Go ahead. Discharge, before anyone can discharge any contaminant into the air, the water, or the soil, they have to get a credit for a certain amount of that. Now, the state of West Virginia will create these credits under my program, 
and then they will be they will be made they will be distributed to each household in West Virginia where there is a registered voter. And then it will be up to the entity desiring to discharge the pollution or contaminant to purchase these credits for the best deal they can make. The households could hold the credit, they could sell the credit, they could swap the credit for something they want, they could trade it, uh, whatever the best deal is they could make. My opinion is that each of these credits should be worth between $2,500 and $4,500 a piece. So if a household had only 10 credits, that could be as much as a $25,000 income boost. And seeing how 45% of the people of West Virginia, for whatever the reason, do not work, this would be a, an annual income supplement, not a guaranteed annual income, not a welfare program. This is pure capitalism. That is, the, the households have a good that the, that, the, uh, in, that the industrial users need, and they make the best deal they can for it. You can't get purer capitalism than that. And it would be something I think that other states would implement. California is doing a modified version of this, and Virginia mm -hmm. is looking at a modified version, especially with regard to carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to firms like Rockwool, fracking companies uh, uh, would be required to purchase these credits before they could discharge or uh, inject their wastewater. Mm -hmm. uh, just keep naming sewage, yeah. sewage waste. Another that sounds story. like a possible idea. It's kind of like a tax, a tax on pollution, something like that. Well, I, I prefer, I have avoided the word tax. <laughs> because that seems to be a, uh, a, a, a non-starter. <laughs> However, and especially taxes are something that's, an, that's anti-capitalist. And mm. this is a pure capitalist proposal. That is a good and a user and they get together. And, it is not, and the, the money to the household is not welfare, it's income. Okay, so well, let uh, me ask, yeah. I, I prefer to avoid the term tax. Yeah, about the Rockwell, I noticed, I think, if I correct me if I'm wrong, one of the methods they'll be allowed to dispose of waste is to inject water and waste into karst or sinkholes, or am I wrong? And that seems a little crazy, or doesn't that get into the groundwater? Or correct me, am I misunderstanding something? Sinkhole, and, and uh, as a conservation district supervisor, I've been very in tune to this. Sinkholes are the fastest way from the clouds to the aquifers. Right. That is, in the, in the Great Plains, it takes a while for the rainwater and the contaminated water to percolate through the soils to get down to the aquifers. Here, it could be in a matter of hours because when you see these limestone outcrops, the water hits that stone and it, well, it percolates right down on the outside of the stone, dissolving some of the car calcium carbonate, taking it with it right down to the aquifer. And sooner or later, when something, when enough soil or is, is moved from one place to another, the structure of the soils and the stone weakens and you get a sinkhole. Right. Um, we've, had them, uh, we've had them deep enough here to swallow tractors. Yeah, so. so yes, Rockwell is looking 
at using a, a classified injection wells is what the West Virginia Department of Environmental Protection calls them. Does that actually involve sinkhole? Uh, it can. They can get a sinkhole designated as a class five injection well by, by, by declaring that half, that is 50% of everything that goes into that injection well is water, is storm water. Now the storm water can contain anything from mud to radioactive waste, but as long as it's less than 50%, it can go into it. It just sounds like a stupid policy or am I missing something? Why do they even allow any injection into the aquifer? You're not missing a thing because what we're looking at is the possible contamination of the water supplies for several million people. Yeah, that sounds like a bad deal. That needs to not happen. I mean, I'm not As sure what the earlier, we proper... Have not, we, go ahead. Well, the proper way to handle things like this if you make the waste, you take care of it on site. The days when we can dump on our neighbors are gone. Uh, I can't think of anyone who would want uh, who, who would want their, their neighbor dumping their garbage on their lawn after they've taken some steps to, to have a nice, a nice home and grounds and such. So why should Rockwall be allowed to dump their waste on the rest of us? Yeah, I, I can't agree. think of a single good reason. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, uh, I agree with you on that one, definitely. Okay, well, you was mentioned uh, you wanted to mention another point, right? Your third third main well, uh, issue point, you're thinking about. Well, well, another point that I have that I want to to develop involves the coal industry. We have the West Virginia has coal. And we have it, we, it's not in the abundance that we used to have it, but we have, uh, in addition to the coal, we have some of the largest recoverable deposits of rare earth elements in North America. And that's the elements between uh, element number 57 and 71. And they are used in all kinds of high technological uh, applications for, uh, um, you, you name it. We can recover these, and they're worth some of them are worth as much as seventy thousand dollars a kilogram. Yet they're in the they're in the shales that are on top of the coal that's being stripped off. They're in the coal itself, and they're in the shale deposits that are beneath the coal. And those those tailings just go have been pushed into a uh, into ravines, smoothed over, and patched up uh, when uh, called reclamation. The coal ash and the gob piles go just are in waste piles. We have What's a gob? In can you tell me what gob is? We can recover. Uh, gob is gob piles are the waste from washing and cleaning the coal before it's shipped for uh, resale. They call, mm -hmm. That's the term that the uh, people call them, gob piles. So, so if this rare earth element has it been successfully extracted is it cost effective yes it is very cost effective we are obtaining these elements right now from china and afghanistan two nations that don't exactly bear us goodwill right now for instance uh, you have a cat scan uh the machinery you're using 
you, uh, employs at least four of these elements in small quantities. The cell phone you have employs these. Um, there's uh, most many of the magnets have dyspropium in them, which makes them makes them much much uh, uh, much well much more adhering magnets and stronger fields. Um, thousands of uses, and plus coal has a, also has a fantastic future because of the applications that involve carbon. Coal's best use no longer is in being burned to create heat. It, mm -hmm. For instance, there's a product that was developed by our Buckminster Fuller that properly called Fullerene. Some people call them buckyballs. These are a, an isotope of carbon, comes, can come from coal, that is from anywhere from 25 to 100 times as viscous in its lubricating power as motor oil. Um, so West Virginia has a bright future with our res the resources we have. We've just got to, like the old insurance line came, uh, comes down and says, you're gonna earn a fortune and some of it should be yours to keep. Some of the value of the wealth beneath our feet should be ours to keep. And that's what I would like to see done. Something else along this line, mechanization is coming in leaps and bounds. I was reading an article in yesterday's Washington Post about okay. with the COVID-19 okay. problem that uh, a lot of firms are looking at, uh, at robots to do the cleaning instead of people. Mm. They're saying that some of the robot cleaners can do it uh, a third as fast as a human person doing the cleaning. Well, if a company employs a machine to replace one or more people, why shouldn't they be they contribute a portion of the savings that they're going to realize to a help to retrain these people to do something else to assure that they can have medical and health care b to assure they do that they do not have to choose between whether to put food on the table for their families or to buy prescriptions to cure their ills um, this is something we've got to consider because once again going back to that uh, figure. That's uh, the last one I had. 45% of West Virginians do not work, whether it's because they're disabled, whether because they're unemployed, or because they're on Social Security or or uh, have retired, whatever. Could but I interject? Still, how does how does that compare to? Oh, sorry. How does it compare to other states? What's the typical? Because I know some people are retired. Uh, we, we are the we are the highest percentage. I am told of any of the states. However, we are the bellwether because it's going to happen in other states. Ohio is probably a close second to us in, that, in the number of people who are not working for whatever the reason. And this is not, this is not to disparage people that are not working. Uh, the days of a lifetime career are probably behind us. So uh, most of us, most people coming along can look, uh, can anticipate a period in their lives in which they will not be working or producing or something other than perhaps for themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. Well, this has, you, has to be accommodated. Okay. You mentioned the COVID. I want to ask you about that. So we've seen a lot of um, mandates from the governor. In fact, we're still under the, I believe it's the March or April mandate, you know, safer at home, whatever it is. 
And then, you know, you're supposed to wear a mask if you're not able to social distance. And a lot of businesses have picked up on that. Um, question. So do you think these kind of mandates are justified? Should they be time limited? You know, as governor, like I know in Wisconsin, although the governor has made a second mandate, it ran out after 60 days. It seems like we have infinite mandates. Or what's your take on everything that's going on? Well, at the moment, what we have right now is probably the best we can get because we didn't have any mechanism for dealing with things like this back in the wintertime when this first hit. Now, I heard, for, I, for, my, for, for my part, I heard about this for the first time in October of last year. And that was from two friends who are professors at the Harbon University in China. And they told okay. me about it in an email that there was a, ser a serious virus problem. Uh, and that, fortunately it was about 600 kilometers away from them. So not that that gave, gave, was, was a whole lot of lead time for which to prepare. So what I would like to see done for COVID as best we can and for other pandemics that will be coming, I don't think this is the last one we're going to see. I would like to recreate an equivalent to what used to be the civil defense program for West Virginia. Now, I don't want to go back to duck and cover drills and stuff like that and having signs up on the highways saying, in the event of an enemy attack, this highway may be closed to all, but not but military traffic, et cetera. I don't want to go back to that. But what I want to go to is to uh, a, a, a civilian, a civil defense program that will have, will inventory our resources so that we have stockpiles of food, stockpiles of potable water, potable water, if, excuse me, and medical supplies for basic medical needs and have them within 30 minutes of any West Virginian and have a program developed to deal on at, as, the, as, these, as, as these pandemics arise. And I think there's going to be more of them. I, think, I don't think we've seen the last of COVID because it appears to have a fantastic replicating ability and it, may, it could even mutate into something we haven't anticipated yet. So I'd like to see a, that kind of a program developed to, whereby it wouldn't be just say, uh, stay in your house and wear a mask. I'd like to see a, a health, a, it would involve a healthcare program, a, that is a health services program that would enable people to have, to get the, to get the health service they need and to get the instructions for coping with such organisms as they need them and on in a timely fashion and in a usable way. Uh, well, wouldn't that fall color more coding to, a map tells us what we already beg your pardon? I was saying wouldn't that fall more to individual responsibility? Uh, like you mentioned having stock stockpiles of food and water. Um, so isn't that something that like households should do themselves? Well, uh, that's, that's fine to say they should do it themselves, but for instance, every school in West Virginia has a school nurse. Mm -hmm. Now, that, the, the students are there, uh, that is someone is at the school perhaps 10 hours out of 24. Suppose we used uh, places like the schools as stockpile uh, uh, locations for 
these food supplies and water and medical supplies so that we can have we can mobilize those on upon need the identification of a need um i i have although i agree with you that people should take care of their own needs i know people who in this area who when the when the last three or four days of the month come along they don't have a scrap of food in the house now that could be cured by education but once again that takes time and some people would starve before they could be educated unfortunately mm. uh so there is an obligation to at least make the service available now if people want to take advantage of it fine um if they don't well we we really we're really not in a position to make them so right. we've 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 got to we've, we've we've got to have we've got to have the mechanism in place for people to use okay yeah, it's, say, kind of, it's important yeah. to me to be able to, to say that no one should be further than 30 minutes from a hot meal a safe glass of water and medical attention okay fair enough so on the point you mentioned about force field do things uh one issue i've been working on is our force vaccination system as you know, like West Virginia was one of only two states where they have the policy, no, you know, no vaccine, no full vaccination, no school, no exceptions, except for extremely hard to get medical exemptions, which is only like a hundred a year, if that, granted. So point being, a few other states have now adopted that, as you know, like New York State and California, unfortunately. But is that a good policy? Shouldn't people have freedom to choose before they're forced to like inject dangerous substances? What's your take on that? Well, I'm, I'm torn. I, I'd like to share with you an anecdote, if you will, from my own ex experience. In 1955, the Salk vaccine for polio came out. Okay. And in, two years later, at the in the Jefferson County school system, they had a uh, a, a program where they bucked all the students into what was then the county building on the corner of Congress and George Streets, and they got a polio vaccination. I think it was a three-shot uh, type. Well, my mother had heard about the bad uh, what turned out to be a bad batch of the sock vaccine which had caused polio. So she wouldn't let my sister and me take the SALK vaccine. Right. Um, so I don't know whether that saved me from getting polio or not. Um, but nobody, none of the, uh, probably had, was not, a, it probably wasn't an issue because none of the students with whom I was in school came down with polio. And then seven years later, when the Sabin, uh, uh, live vaccine uh, came on that uh, they called the, the serum on sugar. Right. We did take that because that that had been tested and was proven. Where, for instance, it's a a, a, a disease like smallpox has mm -hmm. pretty well been eradicated from the earth because of vaccination. And well, whereas there's some debate about 300 that, but... years ago, uh, well, as a uh, Meaning I not that not it doesn't have any effect, but that the vaccine, most diseases even like 
smallpox, some places use quarantine, like Leicester, if I pronounce it correctly, England, and they were successful using other methods. And that many diseases like, uh, you know, diphtheria, the incidence, and even measles, the incidence of disease had gone down more than 90% before the vaccine is introduced. So it's not a like A and B thing. It's like because of improvements of sanitation, like no more horse manure in the streets and things like that, even before vaccines are introduced, a lot of the diseases had decreased. So to just say, oh, it's because the vaccine is over simple. That's what I'm saying. But anyway, go ahead. Well, it could, yeah, you, you, you could have a point there. Uh, for instance, using the smallpox example, um, most farm people did not get smallpox before the days of uh, the Jenner vaccine, the, 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 uh, the Jenner uh, smallpox vaccine, because they were around cows and cows had, would get what was called cowpox. Right. And the people got that from the cows and it immunized them against smallpox. So there, are there ways to immunize? Probably. Uh, would, would I advocate everybody being uh, rubbing shoulders with a cow uh, to, to become immunized against smallpox? I don't think that would be a good thing, uh, whether for the person or the cows. Um, mm -hmm. But the but point the is that for the, the, various pro the various health programs have pretty well eradicated smallpox from the earth. And yeah. well, to simplify it, that we use. Well, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, to well, shorten it example. a little. Well, would you, in a nutshell, like allow people to have exemptions for religious or conscientious reasons? That would be a simple thing. Well, uh, I would, I would at least, I, I would, yes, I would allow the consideration of conscientious religious objection to vaccines. Okay. Um, but, once, but once again, okay. I would also like to keep track of the people who, and, and of course the health departments would have these records, keep track of the people who have made such and received such an exemption so that if a, an, a, a, a disease should break out among these people or a community where these people reside, that uh, we could get the handle on it. Uh, yeah, I would I, not want mm -hmm. to see, uh, yeah. so for instance, if they, uh, if somebody comes in from Lower Slobovia and has smallpox, and some and a and a group of school children were exempted for religious reasons, I would not want to see them infected with smallpox because they weren't immunized. So I'd want to find, I'd want to have a way to keep track on it. And so we could, I, as you were talking about the British example, quarantine and isolate. This is part of my, my civil defense program that I'm advocating is to be able to keep track of what kind of problems we're dealing with, when, we're de when we can expect to deal with them and a mechanism for getting the word out to the public. Okay, yeah, speaking of quarantine. Reliable. Okay. Together. Yeah, no, you're yes, right. Because qu quarantine is, is still one of the most effective ways to control disease. Right, it, but I was going to say. The trouble is the way it's implemented. You don't traditionally <laughs> quarantine well people. 
which is kind of the unusual thing about the whole COVID thing. Yeah. In fact, you know, I, I was checking recently, I wrote an editorial about if you're under age 44, the infection mortality rate is 0.01%, which is, if I do my math right, is the one in 10,000 chance of dying. Well, that's about the same as the chance of dying in an automobile accident. So it seems to me that things have been way skewed out of, out of, um, out of reality. Like, is there reason? Is there reason children can't go to school right now? Quite frankly, I don't know. I, I don't know what the what to what to believe about the COVID, because especially from the national level, so many incorrect things have been said. I got better information from my two friends in China about COVID than I have from the government in Washington. Uh, I don't like that. I, it, it bothers me that we, can't, uh, that, that, we, that we can't get reliable information and it bothers me more that we do not have a way of dispensing the information and the health care that need, that's needed when it is needed and where it is needed. This is where we, the United States has trailed the world. Uh, the Europeans did a far better job on COVID, with some exceptions, than we did. I communicated back and forth with my two friends. They, the Harbin shut down their classes, and you had to, you had to have something of a, I don't, I don't especially like it, but you had to have something of a, per, some kind of a permit to go out, and you could only go out two or three times a week from your apartment in China. And right. Well, you know, I can't imagine many Americans yeah. accepting well, that well, but uh, that was the way they did it. But at least the information that they got, of course, that is from uh, Bob and Joyce gave me, at least it appears reliable. I can't hmm. say the same thing because I was hearing one story on Monday and then Wednesday it was being countermanded. Uh, what well, I wouldn't call it Chinese data reliable, but I agree with you that the statistics like from the Information for Health Statistics, which is like Bill Gates funded thing in Washington. They were fantastically wrong. I totally, completely wrong. And many, many others too, you know. Yeah, I agree with on I'm that. I'm trying to remember who said it dur during the Reagan administration that uh, he said to the effect, we will know we have succeeded with disinformation when everything the American public believes is false. And I, yeah, uh, I think I've been thinking about that all this year. Hmm. I think to wind this part it, of the discussion. Me. Yeah, no, it's true. Is that what we should be looking at is the um, excess mortality. And I believe that it has been declining and we'll see in the next weeks to month, you know, if it keeps declining to near regular levels, you know, the so-called excess mortality because that'll give us a better handle than all these numbers because there's so there's so many like inaccuracies with uh, recording deaths and all those kind of things. Yeah. I think. And also with the onset of cold with the onset of cold weather, I will be curious to see where uh have it where like back in February and March where we had more people confined in uh, centrally heated spaces, whether we have the same kind of upticks in the uh, COVID-19 
that we had back in uh, late February, March, and through April, or if it actually declines, I am hoping it's going to decline, but I plain don't know. And I'm also concerned about the flu, that is, we're, we're coming into the flu season, right. and of course, the flu shots are being dispensed now. And then I've asked my friends in China to keep me posted on it. There is a new strain of swine flu that has emerged in the Chinese uh, swine population, and it has been shown to be transmissible to humans. Now, how virulent it is, I have not been able to get information on. That concerns me because if we have another pandemic on top of COVID, on top of influenza, Katie, bar the door. Well, one thing, yeah, to kind of wind this discussion down, but there's a lot of conflicts with the big pharma. So the flu shot, the fact is, like there was this huge study done in 2005, but that was uh, showed like no benefit of the flu shots in reducing mortality. And in fact, even though the CDC pushes it, they don't, it doesn't reduce mortality. And on top of that, it's the second worst vaccine for adverse reactions next to HPV. But um, so I think, yeah, I think, uh, how do you say, what's promoted and what reality is are two different things, but I think more people are becoming aware of those discrepancies. Well, for my, using myself as an example, I get the flu shot each year through the VA. And I can't say, I, I can't say that it has kept me from getting the flu, but I know that I, and, and also I being 71, I guess I have certain acquired immunities that may be helping, but I have had fewer rhinoviruses and fewer uh, in fact, uh, respiratory infections in the last 10 years that I've been taking the flu vaccine than I had experienced uh, in earlier times in my life. So um, uh, once again, that's not empirical data by any stretch right. of the imagination, but it's my own observation. Okay. Yeah. So, um, all right. Yeah. So as governor, would you like promote having to get back to that question, time limits on these kind of mandates, or you think that the way it is now is fine? Okay, like, as governor, mm-hmm. because I, because and as governor, I realize I know enough about this to get into trouble. I would be with, I would be surrounding myself with the best expertise I could, and if they said it's time to cut to cut it out, then we would cut it out. If they say, hey, you're going to have to continue this another six months, then that's what I would do. It's, and it's the same way with education. I, I know enough about education and education theory to get into trouble. So I would be relying upon the people who have made a lifetime study of education to tell me what's the best thing to do. Uh, there are certain things that I can do fairly well, but a lot of things I've got to rely upon good information and heaven help the person who gives me bad information. Okay, so it sounds similar to what's going on now. I did want to ask about a question that's close to my heart. Um, and that is, you know, do you think that in teaching uh, sexual health education, that abstinence, meaning, you know, absence from sex for marriage, should that be the expected standard for school age children? Okay, first off, 
I would the sex education be unnecessary. Mm -hmm. uh, I would that each household teach their children responsible sexual behavior. Do I believe that's going to happen in the near future? No, I do not. Uh, I do not, I, 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 and I also do not feel good about the households who say, well, they ought to learn that in the schools. No, they should learn it in the homes, and I would like that. That's Abstinence true. Abstinence is 100 percent effective in preventing pregnancy. There ain't no doubt about that. Um, do we have the deviates running around and the perverts and the rapists? Yes, we do, and I don't want that either. And in fact, it goes to another area. This is why I would reserve prisons for those people who are simply too incorrigible or too far gone to be able to be allowed to function in society. Uh, that's whether that includes rapists, uh, muggers, murderers, you name it. I do not want any woman to have to be in fear of her safety because she has to go out at night or through a particular neighborhood. We've got to find we've got to find a way to prevent to uh, assure that, and this is where teaching responsible behavior, whether it's through sexual abstinence or sexual behavior, whether it is uh, controlling violent uh, inclinations, whether it's uh, controlling a big mouth, regardless of which sex it happens to come from. These are the things that we've got to learn again as a society. We've got to become a community again, and that will take care of a lot of these problems. Because if abstinence is expected in a community, then that's what you will get. If it's not, you won't. So well, you make a good point. There. I want I want the whole I want the school I want the schools to do their job. I want the homes to do their jobs. And that's something else. We've got to return. And this is one thing my pollution control uh, credit system will help to do to assure incomes. We've got to have a family unit in the home. That is, we, where the, both parents have to be out working, you have latchkey kids, is a prescription for trouble. We have got to be a community again. Um, we, I, you and I grew up in the time when you could, you could earn a living in a town like Charlestown or Ranson and be at home when the kids got home from school and uh, that sort of thing. And this is something broadband will do for us. It will enable people who have the, those kinds of skills to work from home and to be part of their children's lives. Whereas instead of spending, like some people I know, four hours each way commuting to Washington to, to work and then a kid, get out of my face, I'm tired, I don't have time for you that we can't have we've got to find a way to get around that because that's a prescription for disaster so i really rambled on that question that's okay yeah i noticed well, so kind of probably we're about time to wind things down and i'll get definitely give you the chance to share any final thoughts i noticed that the mountain party you know for instance it's uh you know for you're talking about the family but like I noticed they're saying they're for the LGBTQ equality and these kind of things. So are you okay with that? Oh, I mean, you, oh, you, 
Yes. You probably won't be able to put this on the air this way, but the way most of us in the mountain party feel, what two consenting adults do inside their own four walls between their eyebrows and their kneecaps is strictly between them. Don't okay. take it outside and ram it down somebody else's throat. Uh, and don't inculcate it into children unless unless it's their lifestyle when they have when they are eligible when they're old enough to understand and eligible and able to choose but what basically what uh, it's an individual liberty thing there as far as we're concerned between yeah. the eyebrows and the kneecaps and inside four walls we don't we're not going to dictate that yeah well yeah i mean in some sense i agree with that i mean those kind of things, but those things also affect society profoundly in the sense that, as we know, there are states where, you know, the, the examples where people are fine because they won't, you know, have a problem with baking a cake or doing photography for a same-sex wedding. So there are those areas where it gets out into society and then where the state can, and in some states does, force people and say, oh, no, no, you don't like to serve that clientele. Sorry, you must. So you get into that area. You know what I mean? I, 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 see, I see where you're coming from. And if I could play dictator, we might have fewer lawyers litigating such cases. Because if I walk into a, if, and I'm, I am heterosexual, I might add, but if I was, if I was homosexual, and I walk into a, bakery and order a wedding cake and tell them that I want two male figures on top of it. They say, I don't, I can't do that. I just walk out the door. It's not worth the fight. It, it's right. not worth all, it, it's, it's not worth taking up public resources to litigate something like that. It is not worth the aggravation and the heartache that it cause, it's going to cause a number of people in a particular incident. Uh, What's wrong with simply walking away from what you don't like, unless it's going to physically harm you? Uh, that, and, I, and I'm taking that position with a lot of things. That, that's why I'm hard on pollution, but uh, soft on individual liberties. Let, let people live their lives as they want to, but don't put smoke down their throat. Yeah, right. I mean, Did that help? Uh, yeah. I, I think so. I mean, I think so. But though we're seeing those things increasingly more becoming um, problematic. I mean, I agree with you in the sense like, yeah, it's not really the government's business why I do in my home. But in the case, but the fact of the matter, reality is there are definitely strong agendas where the agenda clearly is, you know, to force people to accept that viewpoint, you know, like, like personally, I believe in marriage between a man and woman, but I'm not, you know, for the police bust into someone's home because they're doing something. On the one hand, I agree with you on that, but I'm also not for the other extreme where it's saying, you must accept this. We're telling you, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, and I didn't mean to say I was trying to force anyone to accept someone else's behavior, but uh, the example of the bakery, if I walk in there not knowing and I encounter that uh, that uh, it, that attitude, it's better just to walk away. But I mean, uh, 
Well, Jesus said, put the distance behind you. Yeah. Okay. Well, Take we could cover from, you feet, yeah. from your feet. Yeah, no, we got a, a, covered a lot of things. I want to give you just a chance to conclude or share why the voters should choose you on November 3rd and any other like final thoughts. Well, okay, just a couple of thoughts. As I opened with the quote from the late Carl Hess, the reason the voters should look to me is I want to offer you a choice, not an echo. My other opponents are talking about the same, basically just a, a repackaged version of the same issues and the same responses over and over again. <clears throat> I, have, I am the only candidate who has taken a position in favor of repealing the Workplace Freedom Act and restoring federal prevailing wage because we have got to have a mechanism by which our incomes begin, at least begin to catch up with our costs of living. This is, a, especially here in the Eastern Panhandle, is a serious problem. Again, there in 2016, I know a lot of people who couldn't stand Hillary Clinton and couldn't stand Donald Trump, so they stayed home. And it affected all the other races down the ballot. Well, my reason for running, I can't afford to run for president. And I ran for governor, I was asked to run for governor, because I want to offer the people who are not thrilled with Mr. Justice or Mr. Salango, there's nothing personal against them, but like myself who, are, who simply can't vote for them, I want them to at least have a name by which they can put a mark on the ballot or punch a card and, and have a choice, at least have a choice in who is going to be their chief executive. The governor of a state like West Virginia is a, a promoter for West Virginia and an advocate to the national level along with the representatives and senators. Also, the governor of West Virginia in the state sets the tone for what the uh, programs are going to be. And my program is, all of my programs are oriented toward bringing West Virginia into the, 25th, into the 21st century. And that is because I want to see us competing with states like California and New York and Virginia and Ohio, instead of being, of, of, the, of this famous phrase, boy, thank God for Mississippi or we'd be dead last. We've got to stop thinking like that. We are better mm -hmm. than that. As a matter of fact, I use the phrase from uh, General Harry Bandholtz following the Battle of Blair Mountain when he was asked by a lawyer in the treason trial, uh, it says, uh, what is your impression of the people of West Virginia that you encountered? General Bandholtz said on the stand, they're a damn sight better than they know. That is true. West Virginians are a damn sight better than they know. Now let's be that. Okay. Yeah. So just to clarify one thing, the Workplace Freedom Act repeal, does that mean you're against right to work or is that what it's about? I am. Okay. I am. So you prefer the, um, yeah, so the, you prefer, my understanding then you would be preferred like workplaces, how do you say not workplaces? Yeah, unions, union membership can be dictated. Is that part of the repeal, right? No. It's not? Because the, the, no, sir. The federal, the federal government takes care of that. 
the clothes shop was outlawed in the 1930s. Now, there are, there are uh, shops that have union contracts where a person come, can come in and go to work and they have a certain time to decide whether to affiliate with the union or not. Uh, that's, that, uh, that, that's fine with me. But for someone to come in and say, well, I'm going to take the benefits because I'm coming here to work because I, I can get four weeks of paid vacation and I'm getting $5 more per hour and I'm getting uh, full dental vision and health care coverage and I'm not going to pay a nickel of union dues. Uh, that's wrong. I, 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 can't, I, I can't tolerate a free rider. I see. Okay, probably take a while to go through the I come, I come from, I come from, you see, I come from a farm background. Everybody pulls his weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I thought they paid, I thought they still had to pay for some of the benefits. If you have right to work, I thought you still had to pay some of it, but you wouldn't be required to pay the part that might go to political lobbying or stuff like that. Or am I wrong about that? Well, uh, it depends upon exactly how the courts rule on the Workplace Freedom Act here in West Virginia. It's still being litigated uh, on appeal. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. All right. Okay. Well, it's been a pleasure. I know we could go on and on, but in the interest of time, but I really do Thank appreciate you. you coming on today. Thank you so much. And sharing, and we'll make this available uh, on video. I appreciate your time. Yes, sir. Okay. okay. My well, pleasure. thank you. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. This is I'm Richard live Urban. And live long and prosper. Yes. So thank you for joining us today with with our interview with with Mr. Lutz for Governor, and we will uh, see you next time.